Please listen carefully. What's up? <laughs> What's up, sisters? Welcome back to another episode of Everyone and Their Sister, the podcast that is just like listening to your friends talk about something you want them to stop talking about. I'm Christina. I'm Natasha. And I'm Stephanie. All right. Today, our episode is all going to be about the best food on film. So, you know, when you watch something, usually an anime, and they bust out some food that just looks so good, you wish it was real and you could wish you could eat it right then and there. Um, we're going to go run through all our favorite foods. There's definitely going to be a lot of anime, definitely a lot of K-dramas. Uh, there is some good food shit out there. But before we get into our main episode, this is going to be our last episode before we take a little bit of a summer break. It'll be anywhere between four to six weeks because we're still not being paid to make this show. So we'll take as long as we feel like. Um, and at the end of the episode, I'll announce hopefully what would be our exciting return episode when we come back around mid-August, maybe late August, depending on how things shake out. Um, so since we are going to take a little bit of a break, guys, what are your plans for while we blissfully don't have to record an episode with each other for a couple weeks? Let me just make the sound effect. Oh, God. <laughs> she was so proud of that. Are you going to be yeah. drinking for the next six weeks? We know she will be. Nonstop. I mean, I... I don't have any alcohol on me, actually. But I think we know what my main plan is. <laughs> I think we moving? all have. The, well, yeah, I guess moving is one of them. But I was thinking our summer pool house. Yes. Just like last year, uh, we all went on vacation together just for the excuse to spend five days in a pool. And then we're like, I know, we'll say it's for the podcast. And then we did an episode about it afterwards. It's absolutely what we're doing again this year. Yep. Yeah, I feel like this place might be even better. I don't know. Whoa, speaking that think? out into the universe. Okay, well, that was a pretty nice place. Our last place that was technically in an orchard, which is beautiful, but there were a lot of fruit flies because fruits. And I will never forget those fruit flies being the bane of my existence at night. So, And there are never any bugs near lakes, so I'm sure we'll be fine. Listen, we're not like right on the lake, right? We are try. not. We are. I think this is my favorite thing. So... We decide whenever we like to go on vacation, we're like, I know what we'll do. Let's, uh, you know, find a place with a pool instead of a lake. One, during last year was because lakes were way, uh, pools are way more isolated. So we didn't have to worry about would there be other people on there. It was just easier for us to get around. So we found a really nice house that was in an orchard. So it felt very cottagey. Um, this time, the pool was so good from last year. We're like, okay, the pool is the number one thing. We have to find a place mm -hmm. with a pool. So we looked for places with pools in like cottage country areas. We found a great one. The pool is heated. So we know our heated. asses will be there from morning. Let's be real early afternoon for when we wake up to the end of the night. Like that's the goal. Uh, we like it. The place looks nice. Good bedrooms. Great pool. Amazing backyard. We're all really excited. And then I think after we booked it, I went looking on uh, Google Maps, the actual area, just to sort of like see what was around. And it's in like, a, it looks like it's in a suburb. It's in like a row of houses. So we basically just booked a house. <laughs> like it could, it's a house that could be fucking anywhere, but it's in cottage country. So that's what we're going with. <laughs> 
plus there's gonna be like the crazy shit around that's in cottage country like that random pie store a weird antique shop probably you know there's definitely a quartha dairy ice cream somewhere yeah it's like on the way perfect (laughs) and while we're at that pool i will be reading ice planet barbarians numbers (laughs) maybe four to 18 i don't know how many there are because that's the journey i started this weekend surprise not bad (laughs) i have loaded up on books and my reading vibe i'm worried hit too early this year because i'm in the middle of it right now i've gone through three books in the last like four days and i am concerned that i'm gonna be booked out by the time we get to our trip hopefully i won't be because i'm thinking that i'll go through the six of crows series while we're there plus a couple other things so i'd like to finally get through those books and by that, I mean just the two, the Six of Crows and the other one. I'm not going to read the ones before. Uh, what yeah, about Shades of Magic? You going to get through those? Oh, I got to do that too. Listen, maybe I'm in the mood. We'll see what happens. Five books. I'm in the mood and I read in a pool, okay? My e-reader is waterproof. Mm, true. I think I feel like I might, like I know, so spoiler, there might be maybe a podcast episode somewhere about Fear Street. I don't know. Who knows? Shh. <laughs> But I just downloaded, like, I want to say 50 books from the Fear Street series. Like, there's, like, there's the original Fear Street. There's a new Fear Street. There's, like, the Fear Street saga, which was my favorite when I was a teen because it was, like, the historical Fear Street. We know I'm a historical bitch. So (laughs) that's obviously on my radar. So I'm, like, I might be rereading all of them because I don't remember reading all of them originally. I probably didn't, like... You know how it was when you're a kid. You go to the library, you bore whatever the fuck was on the shelf. And you know what? That's why those books worked. Like those scholastic style books. Because like you didn't have to read them in any order. You just read them as you got them. So what I find funny about that is because if last year is anything to go by, this is how this is going to go down. You're going to be, there's no hot tub at this place, right? Yes. So there's no hot tub. So there's no way for you to literally boil yourself alive. But you're going to be on a pool floaty, bag of spicy dill chips in your lap reading this historical saga yeah yeah or or my magic masala lace chips (laughs) they're good i'll bring some and on that note let's get into the best food on film steph what came to mind for you when we talked about this sorry not just film tv (laughs) tv that's what i mean or comics all right. Ooh, okay, okay. I had not thought of, like, illustrations. So I'll allow it. Um, well, as we know, <laughs> last year was my discovery of K-dramas. And I'm pretty sure I've talked about this before, but I, watching K-dramas for the first time, I was taken aback by the fact that food is such a big focus and that they show the food in such loving light people have meals they have conversations they're at the restaurants they're drinking beer they're having a great time and then i'm like no western tv show does this unless i am missing out but then i'm thinking no i don't see many many scenes of food being had constantly and then i looked it up being like why is that and someone said that they are like, food is a high focus on K-dramas because the plot is so long that they have time to focus on it. And the only way for a character to like speak their feelings is through a meal. And I was like, I don't know if I believe that. But K-dramas are 16 episodes, full hour length. So it's possible that is a reason. I don't know, Nat. You can probably chime in here. I So this is like, I watch a lot of anime and K-dramas, obviously. I find that it is consistent across 
the board for like Asian mm. television or film. Um, I just think like food is just such a huge part of life and like it's just a vibe if you know they what I mean. They like, enjoy food. Like that's the main. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's like a, there's a thing about food in like like East Asia. I mean like you'll see it in like Indian stuff too but like it's not quite the same. It's in Indian I feel like it's more comfort and this one it's more about like the display and the look and yeah. like obviously the taste is part of it but like it looks as good as it is to eat. And there's just something about that in K-dramas and animes that when you see it, like, you can feel the steam coming off of things sometimes. And I'm like, (laughs) I am shook. Like, I'm so hungry watching this. I've watched so many, um, like, cut-together clips of, like, particularly from animes. Mm -hmm. Animes of someone, like, cooking food. And it's so romanticized. And, like, I love that about it. it. That's, I think, what immediately makes me hungry. And I think... To what you're saying, you see it a lot outside of like English Western food that they just have like a different relationship with food, and it's so much more part of their identity that when they do show it, it's like it's as, as important as the characters. It's because it would feel weird if these people didn't have eating as a big part of their lives. Yeah, like I feel like half the things I know about like Korean culture came from food part of it like like I just like the things that I know like like they're I don't know what it's called I can't remember the name in Korean but it's like this like the garbage pail thing but it's like literally all the leftovers in rice in a bowl that's my favorite thing to make now like when when I have like leftovers I'll just do that with my own rice too it's so freaking good um so my pick was crash landing on you (laughs) which I know no one has watched here but I think it's good um brief plot synopsis just so you can get a a feel. Um, Yoon Seri, I believe that's how you pronounce her name. She is like a boss bitch CEO. She has her own company. She's running shit. And her pa- favorite pastime or activity is to hang glide. <laughs> I believe that is what it's called. With like a parachute. I, I believe that's what it's called. So one day she's doing that as her hobby. And then a storm happens. And she crash lands into North Korea. <laughs> so stupid crash crash on north korea and then she runs across this man captain re who re sure yes uh beautiful man uh who saves her essentially brings her back to his house and tries to pawn her off as his fake fiance because what is a random south korean girl doing in north korea people would know but the first introduction to him she is us, right? She's she's like, I'm hungry, I'm tired, you have coffee, like, I need something. So he, out of the graciousness of his own heart, makes her noodles by hand. And there's like a good, I want to say it's a five-minute sequence of him just making her this meal. He's like cutting up all the vegetables. He's boiling the water. He's cooking his noodles. Then he like beautifully places it on a plate. And then she comes in and eats the meal that he prepared with his hands. And also, so... Food is um, a rare resource, we want to say. So a lot of it, he's giving out, giving her the good shit. He's giving her some good meat, all this stuff. And then that's your first introduction to them. And as we know, he cares about her, so he gave her food. So, like, of course they're going to fall in love with each other because he loves her that much to feed her. And over the course of the series, they have nice meetings together. They talk about, there's, like, hot pot, which I didn't know what, what that was until I watched this. Yeah, um, they, they, they grow meat over like makeshift fire because they don't have a thing. They kimchi is a big thing because all the like women in the village are like we make the best kimchi in North Korea. Blah blah blah. So you see how they make it. Um, 
they spoiler somehow they both get back to south korea i'm not gonna say why then they have soju together and then things get wild and by wild i mean they share their feelings for each other um and like i basically oh and then there's another they have a they have a cute date together and they're showing you fried chicken that looks delicious so every time i watch basically any south korean show i need fried chicken and they have a nice beer together and it looks delicious um, and then the, after their date, she's so tired from eating that great chicken, she falls asleep on him. <laughs> and as we know, that's the epitome of a romance in a K-drama. Um, oh, Steph. I know. I know. I'm not saying I, it's good. I want to talk about one thing that you've said that I, I find very hilarious. You're like, as we know, food is um, scarce. Which is your way of trying to avoid that food is scarce because it's rationed out because this whole story takes place under a ruthless dictatorship. Uh, but you but know, they let's, never get into know, that. So I'm like, is it a is it a full fake North Korea or is it a fictional North North Korea? We it's not it's unclear to me what that actually is. <laughs> um, but interesting. So I thought fried chicken was weird that. South Koreans would have South Koreans, sorry, would have fried chicken. But then I learned that when the American soldiers from like the southern states went to were like deployed to Korea, they brought that like knowledge to them, or like that kind of food. So then together they like made their own thing. This is what I read online. I could not find the article that I read this in, but like that is where like fried chicken came to like North South South Korean culture, <laughs> and I thought that was really fascinating. Um, that is fascinating, isn't it? And I guess yeah. there, there's more like crossover than I think I because fried know. fried chicken is really popular in South Korea too. Like it's so like they have full yeah. shops that are just like fried chicken. That's it. Which I was like, that's so weird. That but then I was like, no. But then I was like, in my mind, they're they're obsessed with Western culture. They they enjoy Western culture, so like I can see how it would have been there. But no, actually, they made it themselves from their whatever. Yeah, that I think was. that like. I mean, when you take a look, there are a lot of cultures that have, like, really similar foods that maybe, like, they've had for so long. They had it before they ever met. Like, everyone has their own version of, like, questionably fried dough stuffed with meat yep. <laughs> or potatoes. Just some variation of that. Um, but I could see it being, like, yeah, you have a bunch of American soldiers that are over there. They want to eat food from America, even though they're in another country. So a bunch of people figure out like, oh, we can make fried chicken and then it becomes popular widely. I think it's very interesting when the reverse happened, where Middle Eastern food got really popular in America because so many soldiers had been over in Afghanistan doing mm. horrible things, but got, but apparently really loved the food and then created a demand for it back home. Ah, <sighs> <sighs> you know... <laughs> Truly. Food and war, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it goes together, I guess you would say. Somehow. Uh, I love that this is coming from your pick. Um, yeah. I, there's one, there was one meal I wanted to, oh, not one meal. If you like into coffee, so they have to do it the old fashioned way. So he has to grind up his beans. He puts it in. It's like the hipster way of making coffee right now. But there's like, again, a good three minutes, three minute full shot of him making his coffee. So grinding the beans, putting the filter in, wetting the filter with his boiling water, putting in the coffee, and then sl- what is that called? Do you guys know? What is drip that coffee? I guess it's drip coffee, but like hipstery, if you know what Where I'm Where you saying? put it in like a, I think it's like yeah, you yeah, put it yeah. in like a cylinder thing. Yeah, yeah. it's drip coffee. Um, but he's like putting together the coffee because she's craving coffee, but they don't really have it there. <laughs> Romance, guys. But as we know, so as in conclusion, 
food in this drama is a way of showing how much they care for each other, which is all meals at the end of the day. Food is a love language. Food is my love language. You make me a meal, I'll eat it. <laughs> that actually relates to my pick a little oh, bit. Look at that perfect <laughs> segue. Great timing, Nat. Yeah. What's your pick? Uh, so I thought I was going to do like an anime. I thought I was going to be like really typical. Like, I don't know. I'll pick like Food Wars or something. Or I'll pick like a studio. I think it's pronounced Ghibli. Ghibli. Whatever. Like a Studio Ghibli movie. Like Spirited Away is famous for its like beautiful foods. Like even I want to eat meat when I watch Spirited Away, which is saying something. <laughs> and it's just like it looks so good. But I decided to go with a webtoon slash comic that I very much love. It's probably one of the only ones that I've actually finished completely. Like I read the whole thing. It The whole thing is based on food. It's called Gourmet Hound and it's by Lee Hama. Wait, can I interrupt you? Yeah. A webtoon is what exactly? Is it like a webcomic? It's literally a webcomic. Like a YouTube video kind of thing? Okay. No. Does it come out all the time? Like once a week? <laughs> it's like, like it's a, a web graphic video. novel. Yeah. Like here. It's literally on my phone. And oh, I, I thought it was scroll. a video. Okay, okay, okay. No. <laughs> no, it's literally like reading manga, but like in full color usually. And like you just scroll through it in like chapter by chapter or whatever. In one it. app. I got it. I got it. <laughs> so... This webtoon, uh, done manga anime style, it's beautifully done. Um, it's not the prettiest food I've ever seen, but it's it looks real like it's made me very hungry. And the whole premise of this comic is it's about this girl named um, Fuji. I actually don't even remember her first name. Her last name is Fuji. I can't remember her first name. Forget it. <laughs> Lucy, I think. Lucy, yes. She, her grandmother dies and she comes across these two people that own a cafe called Gourmet Hound and she finds out that they used to work at her grandma's old, um, like a restaurant beside her grandma's old cooking school or whatever. And so she's like, oh my God, I can use them to find this taste that I've been trying to chase the last time I was at that restaurant before my grandmother died. So this whole comic is essentially about her trying to find that taste again, that taste that she loves so much that reminded her of her grandmother. And this is why, again, food represents love. But like the whole thing <laughs> is her finding down these, like hunting down these different chefs that used to work at this restaurant before it closed. And so there's like t t 10 or 20, I don't know, 10, 10 is chefs or whatever that she chases down. She eats each of their food. She samples it. She finds them in different places. And it's not just like, oh, like they went and became a chef to a totally beautiful, like five star restaurant, whatever. Some of them, like <laughs> one of them is like a TV host and judge for a baking competition, which <laughs> is freaking hilarious. Um, and then one of the two of them obviously run this restaurant. Another one runs a rival bakery, by the way, a rival bakery to their enemies to lovers so one of the Steph. one of the <laughs> actually one of the gourmet hound owners okay there's the one gourmet hound owner who is like her love interest and then there's who she calls gramps because he's got gray hair <laughs> then there's the other owner who's like um a hijab wearing beautiful brown woman and she her like rival bakery person owner is probably her love interest. We never get to that part, but like there's like hints of stuff going on, and I was like, oh my god, a rival bakery. This is this is a, it's like every trope 
in one comic. But you get, like, these beautiful images of food. Like, I'm looking at it right now. Obviously, the audience can't see this. But, like, they have a menu for, like, this one wedding one of the chefs is doing it for. And there's a goat cheese fig jam prosciutto and ricotta tomato crostini. It looks delicious. There's the warm fig and arugula salad. Like, the way she even draws vegetables, like, I can see the bristles on this broccolini. Like, it's... My mouth is watering right now. I don't like fish and this grilled swordfish with salmoriglio sauce. I don't even know how to pronounce that. It looks amazing. Oh, the individual spinach and ricotta lasagna. I, guys, I just, I love ricotta also. So like this is, I'm Who already. But like every episode also is named, every episode, every chapter, I guess, is named after a different food. And at the end of each chapter, she actually talks about that food and why it's significant to the chapter. which is already beautiful on its own but then on top of that there's like this like this woman that wrote this comic she's obsessed with food (laughs) like i love it like not only does she do that sometimes she'll leave a recipe at the end if they're if they talk about like a particular food that she really likes but then she also goes into the significance of everyone's names and i was like what (laughs) so lucy fuji for example fuji is a type of apple and i didn't know that so i was like what (laughs) I was like, what is We that? have and then, those in Canada. How did you not know that, like, Fuji apples? I, I just, like, I totally forgot. Like, it slipped my mind. Like, I was just thinking Fuji is a normal name, right? Fuji's like, very that's, crisp. They are very You know what I mean? But, like, that's what I'm thinking of right now. <laughs> and, like, her love interest, Graham, I was like, Graham Crackers? He has a dog named Lemon. The dog cute. is so cute. Wait, is his name for Graham Crackers? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> They're literally, they're all named after food. And so this is the funny part when she's using shorthand, when she's talking about a character and it's like a little bit more meta, she actually, instead of putting their faces in each of the panels, she'll put the food that they represent. Uh. So there's a little apple or there's a little graham cracker with a cut, like a bite out of it or whatever. It's the cutest freaking thing ever. But it just like, the comic not only makes me hungry, it's like so heartwarming. It's such a good story as well. Like she just did such a good job and it's finished. So you can actually finish the whole story now. (laughs) Which like, as I was reading it, it was not finished by the way. So you can imagine, I was like, when is she going to find out who the chef was that made that one meal that she had? Um, The other interest piece about this is that it talks about smells a lot. So this main character, Fuji... Her sense of smell is incredible. Like, it's, like, highly sensitive. So, like, she's able to smell, like, I mean, it's, like, she's got a super sniffer, like, Gus from Psych. (laughs) So she can smell, like, when there's a fire. Like, it's just, like, it's just, like, it's so, like, unbelievable, but it's, like, so unique. And, like, it shows, like, how great her palate is and how she can really tell something. But the interest piece in this is that the main chef that used to work at the restaurant that is her love interest actually got into an accident. And the reason he doesn't cook it as like a big time chef anymore is because it crushed a bones, particularly in his nose and he no longer has a sense of smell. So he's like really like, like self-conscious about his cooking ability now because he thinks without a sense of taste and a sense of smell, he won't be able to cook properly. And so, like, that's, like, a whole other sideline story, which I thought was really funny, like, juxtaposing, like, a sense of smell and how related that is to taste. It was just really good, guys. There was something I was reading, and now I can't remember if it was in, oh, it was in a book, but it wasn't in, but it was, like, a nonfiction book that was talking about, like, 
our relationship with fast food in particular and like the concept of it is like an addiction blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. and one of the people that they interviewed or that they were talking about was the story of this like world famous chef who made amazing food and had like one of the world's best palates in that she could like eat something and immediately tell you every single thing that was in it to the point of being able to explain like you used half a teaspoon of paprika like just being able to go through the exact measurements but later on in her life, she ended up getting dementia. And the first thing that she lost was her memory of what foods tasted and smelled oh, like. No. So as the dementia got worse and got older, she actually didn't even enjoy food anymore. And she really only ate. She said like there were only two things that she could taste now. And it was incredibly spicy hot sauce and like a like a bowl of oats. Like it was some kind of a very plain food, something she wouldn't have even liked at all before because she was completely cut off from the memory of food. And so she could no longer tap into the part of herself that could recognize it and could love it. And it talked about a little bit about like the smells, the scent memory of that as well. It was very sad in that moment, but it was also very interesting. This also reminds me of like how like not like memory of foods, but like how you associate memory with foods. And we had this conversation too, where like there's certain foods or certain tastes or smells that like immediately transport you somewhere. And there's something about that being part of the eating experience that is like crazy comforting to me. I mean, unless like I really hate the thing, then we know. I'm not about it, but like, I just love that. I love all of it. This one, this book, it's called uh, Hooked. And I think it was written by, I think his name is Michael Moss or like that. Mm -hmm. This was actually really interesting because it was talking about how fast food companies take advantage of that sense memory that you have with their food because you likely first encountered them as a Uh child. And as a child, it was like a treat. So you have a good memory of that. Like it's a good association. And as you get older... All that stays in your mind is that good memory. Even if you no longer find the food enjoyable, even if you don't actually want to eat it, your brain has this sense of, no, but that makes me happy because it made me happy one time or it made me happy as a child. So eating it in that moment, there's a part of you that feels like you're happy, even if you're not. And so you get drawn to it over and over again. And in particular, McDonald's and Coke are the two that are the biggest that are constantly trying to remind you of the times that you had them when you were a child because that will get you it was very it was listen i don't generally support a book by written by a white man particularly something nonfiction. i don't care about your opinion this was very interesting in that regard this is probably why people love chicken nuggies <laughs> that's I, literally as i was reading it and one of the reasons i read it because i was like why am i so obsessed with mcdonald's fries because I am, friends. I am. So this is one of the reasons I picked it up. And it was a very, like, I had that same sense memory with that food. My mom used to pick me up from my dad's house at, like, midnight after her second job. She would take me home. She, there wouldn't be any time to cook anything, but she'd be hungry because it'd be the first time she'd be eating all day. So you would go to the McDonald's drive through because it was the only thing that she could afford and it was the only thing that was open. And she would get food for herself and I would get a small fry and I'd get an Oreo McFlurry. And like that in my head is always that like that's always what that represents. And so I love them. But also it's because there's nothing but salt on them. And that's the second reason. <laughs> so what was the name of that you said again? Gourmet Hound? Gourmet Hound. Yeah. And which like which service is it on? It's on Webtoon. Oh, OK. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So just go on the Webtoon app, guys. It's completely free to read all of it. There's no harm in doing it. I highly recommend. Christina, what's your pick? All right, so there was a part of me that was going to pick Hannibal, the TV show. 
Ooh, that's a because, good one. Yeah, because they do put a lot of effort into making the food on that show look very good because it's supposed to be disturbing because it is made out of people. And that show, my favorite thing about it, and I was just going to go on a tirade about how they named every season after a different course, um, but they also use different uh, countries' names for courses and like different countries' influences of food. So overall, Damn. I think Hannibal as food is like very interesting. They hired but- a real chef too. Yeah. The- oh yeah. They put a lot of work into that. Shout out Brian Fuller. You did a great job. But... Nothing in Hannibal ever made me go, oh, man, I wish I was eating that because I knew it was people. (laughs) So I went with something that I felt the same idea, like food is a love language, but also about that passion for food, that romanticization of food. And one of the few North American pieces of media that I think romanticized food that way was Chef. The 2014 movie with John Favreau and Sofia Vergara and like Robert Downey Jr. was also in it and like a bunch of other people. Oh, the fact that you haven't seen this is even better because you have to watch this show or this movie, I mean. So the plot is that there is a chef named Carl. He's we used to be based out of Miami um, and he's the head chef of a restaurant now in L.A. And when he was younger, he was considered one of the best chefs. He was like a star on the rise. People loved his food. He was unique and different and everything about him was great. And so eventually he gets into business with Dustin Hoffman Jr., who runs this restaurant that is all about um, John Favreau's Carl's food. And what has ended up happening is that the point of the restaurant, like any restaurant, is to make money. So the meals on the menu are things that he's been making for years and years and years, and there's no passion in it anymore. So when he goes to try to make changes, because his life at home is falling apart as well, he's divorced from his wife, who is Sofia Vergara. He barely sees his son. And when he does see him, they don't really connect with each other. He is feeling like listless and he doesn't know what he wants anymore. So occasionally he'll get really passionate about food and he'll want to make something beautiful. Like at one point in the movie, he's at the market and he buys an entire pig. And you see him like taking the pig down, putting it into parts, explaining what each part is going to be, all the different meals they're going to make out of it. And I found that was like also something that was really enjoyable to watch because it's showing, I think when you're talking about food, you have to also show like, this is what it came from. Like this was the animal, but here is how it's used like respectfully and with love and with passion. And so he talks about like all the ways that they're going to use it and all the different foods are making. And it sounds delicious and it sounds amazing. And then Dustin Hoffman Jr. comes in. He's like, "Um, but people don't want that. People want ahi tuna. They want your fucking lava cake, lava chocolate cakes. Like they don't want something new and different. They want the stuff that they know about from you. So one day a restaurant critic goes to restaurant and fucking blasts him. Because he basically says, this is uninspired. It's not even that it's bad. It's that it's pointless. There's no reason to go here. There's no reason to eat this. This is a man who had so much potential and now has nothing. And John Favre becomes a fucking mess. His son signs him up for Twitter so that he can show him what people are saying. And in like a drunken stupor or because he doesn't understand, it's because he doesn't understand Twitter. He thinks he's sending the critic a message telling him to fuck off. And I dare you to come back to my restaurant and I'll give you a real meal um and that's the whole thing but he put it publicly because everybody could see it because he couldn't dm the guy so now everyone knows that they're fighting and they're like waiting for the second review because the reviewer has been invited back to the restaurant so he plans a menu he's gonna serve this reviewer he's really excited dawson huffman jr again is like fuck off 
absolutely not. You can't make this. Who cares what this man says? You're going to make the good menu. And so John Favreau quits. He leaves the restaurant. Someone else makes the menu. He a series of events happens and people find out that he's gone off the rails. There's like a YouTube video of him freaking out. And he just realizes that like he needs to do something different. And he ends up getting a food truck. And he picks up the food truck in Miami or something like that. And he makes a decision that from Miami, he's going to take the food truck on a road trip back to L.A. to figure out what he wants to do. And his son comes with him because it's also like a story of them spending time together and like teaching his son how like the food industry works and like showing him what he, he's passionate about. And one of the chefs from his old restaurant comes with him because he would much rather be working at a food truck making good food that people like. And he goes from Miami, he goes into Texas, he goes to New Orleans. And along the way, in every state that he's in, you see the little things that he picks up from each one of them. So like when he goes to Texas, he goes to an actual barbecue place that exists right now. And they show the like slow cooking process. And he shows them like, this is how much we love our meat. And like, this is what we do to it. And they eat it and they become inspired. So they make sandwiches out of that um, like beef brisket that was made and they sell it in the food truck. They go to um, New Orleans, they make beignets and po' boys and they go around and they try different ones. And at every point in time, there is a love affair with these foods. It is all about how these like simple street foods like Cubanos and beignets and just brisket sandwiches are everything. They are life. I, girl, this the one piece of dish in this that makes me the most hungry is at one point he's making a grilled cheese for his son. And he taught Roy Choi was his like the food director on this, like a famous chef that like came on to give them information about the food. And there's a video of Roy Choi showing him like how he should make the sandwich. And he's like, no, you're making love to the grill. Play it like you're a DJ. And like you see him like walking through the steps. But this grilled cheese this day looks so beautiful. There's like nine different kinds of cheese. I was like, if I was this kid and the kid complains, the kid complains about the food at the beginning because he's kind of like a little bit of a spoiled bitch. And every time I'm like, sir, absolutely not. I would cry for that grilled cheese. And it's really interesting as well as an allegory for Jon Favreau's actual career. What he has sort of talked about it and a lot of the thing that people have taken up from it is that he made all of these big budget blockbusters for Disney. But it's kind of like a three for you, one for me kind of thing. Like he made all of those big budget blockbusters, some of which he probably didn't care about and didn't make them the way that he actually wanted to make them so that he could then go back to basics and have the money and have the name to do something like chef and go back to the idea of like street food and just go back to like a nice small indie film that is about the love of making a movie the same way for Carl, it's about finding his love for food again. But does he make a lot of indie movies? Or is this his he only doesn't. one? I'm like looking, he, I'm like, this is... Iron Man, The Mandalorian, <laughs> like, Lion King. Did, did he make, did he do all those big movies to make the one indie movie? I don't think it was like a specific thing of like, oh, I'm going to go, because again, speaking it back to like the restaurant thing, I'm not going to go work for a fancy restaurant so that one day I can own a food truck. It was... I'm going to work for a big fancy restaurant. I'm going to make big blockbuster movies because I think that's what makes you successful and that's what you should do. But the longer you do it and the less control you realize you do, you then need to go and do something for yourself. And that was chef for him. And that was chef. No, but if you watch it, I think like you'll see how this is a like this is a love story. It's a love story for food. And I think for him, it's also a love story for like 
the act of making a movie because as a movie it's very good it's very condensed and tight but it is romanticized i think in the same way of like having a passion for something and wanting to get back to the roots of it it's a very good movie highly recommend will make you hungry i just like i don't trust (laughs) i don't trust like white food movies you know what i mean like i haven't watched what is it julia julia and juliet whatever Um, julia and julia i think is a little different because i feel like that one's not really about the food chef is about the food um it's also worth mentioning that like okay jean favreau is white but the food is not white the food is very much cuban latin american based one of the main chefs um like one of the one of the stories lines that happens is the food truck that he gets is like fucked up and he's got to clean it out and he's got to repair it and get a bunch of new stuff and he's got to at one point get a new grill into the van and he can't lift it by himself and there's a bunch of a couple of like workers that are there and the sous chef that now works for him, um, they both know how to speak Spanish because, like, they grew up in uh, Miami and Cuba. But the other guy is, like, actually Mexican. And so he is like, listen, guys, if you can help us put this thing in the van, we'll give you beers and I'll make you sandwiches. And they're like, mm, but will it be good, though? And he's like, no, it's the best sandwich you'll ever have in your life. So he sends Carl on his way to go pick up shit for the sandwiches while the guys help him get the thing in the truck. And then there's this whole, like, 10-minute scene about him marinating the meat. And he's using oranges. And again, he's making cubanos, which is the best sandwich in the world. And, like, the way that you butter the bread for it. And they make sandwiches for all these guys. And, like, they have cervezas. And it's, like, a whole thing. And it's the culture around it is the culture of like food in New Orleans and it's the culture of food in Texas. So it's still by a white man and Scarlett Johansson is in the movie for five minutes. And I still don't understand why some people really like her. Jo- like Jean Favreau loves putting her in the movies. So I'm like, why are you friends? But otherwise the movie is much more Latin inspired than like mm. pure white. I'm into that. I also just love New Orleans food. Oh my God. Out. The whole scene in New Orleans with the beignets. I want to go and visit. I have a dream of one day going to New Orleans on a food tour, just going for like a week. And the goal is just to eat as much food as possible. So yeah, highly recommend Chef. You can watch it on Netflix. Go check it out. Both of you really should. Like if for nothing else, watch the grilled cheese scene. Mm, excellent. Um, and yeah, I think that's everything for us. Those are our best foods. Um, if you want to talk about your favorite foods that you have like seen that have made you super starving, because there are some good ones we definitely didn't talk about. Also, Simply Irresistible, the Sarah Michelle Gellar movie. Tell me that movie didn't make you want to Claire's, okay? Because it always does for me. Let us know your favorite foods um, on Instagram and on Twitter at EatsCast. Even As better, men- send us the photos. <laughs> send us the photos or send us an anchor message. You have like 60 seconds. Describe your pick and the food that's shown there. Just just describe food at us. Let us know about the food from your culture, like the food your mom makes. I don't care. Make me hungry. <laughs> And you can leave us that message on Anchor. There's a link to that in all of our social media bios. Uh, And just a heads up. So as we talked about earlier, we're going to go on a little bit of a break. Roughly between four and six weeks. Still not sure. I have a feeling it's going to be closer to six because Nat's going to be moving. And I already know that the one week after she moves is probably not going to be enough time. Uh, Not for this one. Not for the way that she lives her life. So probably it'll be closer to six weeks. Um, but what we are hoping to come back with is a little sneak peek. So if you follow our Twitter, you might notice we recently had an exchange with an author that we talked about. 
uh, Lauren Oliver, who wrote Panic, both the book and the show, called out Nat on Twitter for some incorrect things that she said about what she remembered from the book. And I've never been happier in my life than that this exchange happened. But we shot our shot. We reached out to Lauren and we were like, hey, do you want to be on the show? Because we were thinking of doing another episode of Panic um, where we talked about it, but with spoilers. So be on the lookout if things go well. Uh, Our first episode back will be another little talk about panic, but we'll be talking about everything that happened to it. And we'll be talking with the author of the show and the book about it as well. So that means you have the next four weeks to watch panic, but it will only take you one night. And that's everything from us. If you're excited for that episode or if you have anything else, like I said, uh, at EatsCast on Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Uh, And don't forget to follow if you're on anyone else. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. 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 Music credit goes to artists Bluebouts for singing Wallflower and Jazz Hard for the song Please Listen. Wow, the dead air after. Love, love a good, love a good, love a good. No one has anything else to add.